Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Glenn Hoddle. Player, play manager, manager, pundit, pop star. The former playmaker was one of the most talented footballers of his generation, but his style of play always felt unsuited to the English game of the 1980s and, while appreciated for his technical ability, he perhaps was not as lauded or as influential as he could have been. As a manager, he took a continental approach to Swindon Town, leading them to promotion to the Premier League and guided Chelsea to an FA Cup final with a cosmopolitan flair they had not previously been associated with. The tactical ideas he implemented as England boss in the late 90s can still be seen today, though later career stints at Southampton, Wolves and Spurs may stop us acknowledging it fully. So, is it time to reappraise Hoddle's career? In the latest issue of 442, Patrick Barkley sits down with the man himself to provide a retrospective on the player they called the golfer. I'm Connor Pope and I'll be chatting to Patrick and my colleague Chris Flanagan about Hoddle's forgotten legacy on English football. Patrick, can we start yeah. first of all by talking about why you wanted to write yeah. this piece? Okay, it's, um, it's blindingly simple. When I got talking with 442 um, about the possibility of working for them, which I've always wanted to do, I was sort of told, okay, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I'd like to write about a hero, you know, someone I, I really, really admire. They said, like? I said, the first person that came to my head was Glenn Hoddle. <laughs> and so uh, the general feeling was, yeah, the, um, there, was, there was a need to bring people up to date mm. on this guy who most people think is a, a TV analyst. Yeah. <laughs> they don't realize that he was the, um, the you know, the, I was going to say cult player, but he was probably... Um, you know, by a certain type of fan, you know, an aesthetically minded fan. He was the most uh, revered Englishman of all, um, of his of his time, you know. And uh, th- that was what was all I had to decide after then was whether I just wanted to write it as a profile, which I would have been happy to do. But I got the opportunity to interview him mm. and and hear his side of certain things so so can you give us a quick uh, overview of his playing career yeah well he was one of their own you know Tottenham's uh he like Harry Kane he was one of their own he was a Tottenham fan he his hero was uh Martin Chivers who at one stage was the most expensive player in British game at 220,000 pounds <laughs> and that's not his wages by the way that's the fee and Spurs you know kept an eye on him from being a little kid um, but they didn't follow it up for some reason. And one day Martin Chivers came to present the prizes at a local cup final in Harlow, mm-hmm. Essex, where Glenn lived. And uh, in this cup final, Glenn, Glenn had a blinder, scored a couple of goals. And Martin Chivers went back to the youth section at Tottenham 
and said, there's a kid called Hoddle, unusual name, Hoddle. He's really, really good. You know, you've got to get him. And they said, well, we know about him. Martin Jivers said, well, you better do something about it. And so they followed it up. And Glenn's association with Tottenham was, was, was you know, um, complete from then. He, he then, very quickly, I think he made his debut at 17, scored a goal against the great Peter Shilton. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's quite a good start at 17. And... Uh, uh, you know, by I think Spurs were relegated, and he became a regular. Um, before then, he was really the inspiration of of, of a team that came up, uh, a Spurs team that came up to stay. Um, Keith Birkinshaw was the manager, and Glenn was one of the stars. Of course, he had to share star billing when Ozzy Ardiles, <laughs> a World Cup winner, and Ricky Villa, also in the Argentina team that won the 1978 World Cup, uh, were dramatically signed. I mean, in, in days when foreign stars didn't come yeah. to England. So the, this was a huge thing. So Glenn had to share star billing with them. But oh, he did. He just got better and better and better. And uh, it was a really brilliant, memorable Spurs team. He then... Um, finished his career at Monaco, playing under uh, a manager called Arsene Wenger, <laughs> who, I wonder what happened, became of him. And um, uh, Wenger actually uh, played him in the position he'd always wanted to play, as a number 10, and you yeah. know, a, a sort of almost like a, set, a playmaker come second striker, off a big front man, who happened to be an Englishman, actually, Mark Haitley. And I think very briefly, George Ware was there. But Glenn was actually playing in this position where he didn't have to... He had to defend, but defend from the front. Mm. He didn't have to tackle back, which had all been, always been his weakness. Um, so generally, what kind of player he was, was he? Because it, certainly, you know, you said there that you wanted to kind of actually show people that he wasn't just this guy who sits in a studio talking about football. Oh, yeah. And certainly for people of my age... I, I get the understanding that he's he was a good player, but really I know him from being England manager and Spurs manager. Listening to this sort of genial guy giving common sense opinions on uh, ITV, BT Sport, um, sort of good-natured mm. kind of, it doesn't give you any idea of the artistry that went into him. I, I mean, if, if, if I try and explain for younger people what he was like, although he was tall... I suppose the best comparison would be with David Silva. Right. Uh, and David Silva's not tall, but <laughs> he's just got the... De- you look at David Silva and you think, well, really, he can do anything he wants. He finds space instinctively. I mean, it's as if other players back off and salute and let him play. <laughs> and he can. He, his technique is impeccable. He can pass. Um, he can put the ball anywhere he wants, anytime he wants. And... You know, for that reason, I suppose lovers of the beautiful game would put David Silva up along with Thierry Henry, mm. Alan Shearer, uh, Eric Cantona, maybe as as the great players of the Premier League era. I've got, I'm not even mentioning the recent ones, but uh, and 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 I think for me, Glenn Hoddle was like that, but with two things that David Silva didn't doesn't have which were a propensity for scoring spectacular goals often mm. and long passing. I mean, David Silva can can pass over 40, 50 yards. Uh, Glenn could do it 
almost without thinking. Uh, I'm not saying he's a better player than David Silva. But that's the kind of player. But that's, we are talking that class. And I think that the Spanish people will be talking, and, and, and Manchester City fans will be talking about David Silva for as long as they have breath in their body. Mm. I think the same uh, honour should be accorded to Glenn Hoddle by the English. Because I mean, it's, it's quite interesting reading, reading your piece that... Um, Obviously, we've seen with Gareth Bale at Real Madrid where he's become known as the golfer, and that's seen as some sort of negative thing, obviously, for oh, yeah. different reasons. But in your piece, you mentioned how he was sort of. Hoddle was described as a golfer just because of his technique and his yes, passing style. That's right. He was, uh, I mean, a, a, a lot of, if you look at his uh, his um, sort of playlist, you know, if you look, if you, you troll the, the internet and you look at Hoddle's goals and, and techniques, um, you're struck by the variety. Um, but and and you you struggle to define what it is that made his technique different, and you do stray into other sports. You mm. think of a trick shot in snooker. Mm. You know the way he would put backspin. He would knock a ball inside the fullback, and the ball would sit up and beg the winger <laughs> as he as, as he ran. You know, because of the backspin on it. So. Um, a lot of metaphors have been used about the way he plays, but it was Steve Perryman who played alongside him at uh, Spurs under Keith Birkinshaw, uh, who said to him once, "You know what you are? You're 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 like a golfer. Your feet are like a set of golf clubs." And uh, he sort of, you know, smacked his head and said, "That's <laughs> that. You've got it. You've nailed it." Do you guys think he was influential in the English game as a no, player? Not at all. Why not? Because. In his day, it was a Philistine game. Mm. It wasn't a game for technicians. Mm. It was a game where, if you like to return to the David Silva analogy, probably the Manchester City fans of those days would have complained that he couldn't play in the mud or Mm. that he didn't move the ball quickly enough. so Glenn Hoddle, although he, he would have fitted completely into the modern game, mm-hmm. and to be fair, he, he had a very good career, oh, yeah. but it wasn't nowhere near as good as it should be, and it wasn't influential. It didn't spawn uh, generations of further Glenn Hoddles, yeah. you know? And, and it should have done. If you look at, um, you look at, at Messi... Um, uh, we're living in an era where there's lots of good number 10s. Now, and it's not all people just copying Messi, but it's inspiration. It's, yes, I can do it. I can't, maybe not Messi, but I'm small, I'm Luka Modric, and I'll certainly be the best of my type. So Glenn should have inspired a generation of English people, but the English audience wasn't ready for it. It feels like English football didn't really get... That kind of idea of someone playing just behind the striker nope. until Eric Cantona. No. Nope. Well, I thought no. it was interesting as well reading your piece that I suppose that even if he didn't directly influence, you could sort of, there's half an argument for indirectly through through Dennis Bergkamp. You mentioned that Dennis Bergkamp admired him, and, yes. and then Dennis Bergkamp went on to inspire a lot of people. I That's suppose. right, yeah. But Dennis Bergkamp watched Spurs mm. at, although Dennis's dad was uh, in Amsterdam, was, uh, was um, I think Man United was his his favourite team because he, he nicknamed Dennis after Dennis Law the great mm-hmm. Manchester United striker so um, but anyway or maybe he supported Spurs as well but they watched a lot of Spurs on right. on, on, the, on the TV whichever Dutch station showed English football and Dennis was just gobsmacked by 
the way that Glenn could play on on the volley. You know, sort of. I mentioned an incident that I saw the first time I ever saw Glenn at all. I never forget it. I was watching TV, maybe match of the day, mm-hmm. and this seventeen-year-old boy takes the ball on one thigh, shifts it over to the other, and volleys a curving ball out to the wing. Now, I can still remember that moment. <laughs> and because it didn't happen anything. Now, of course, Dennis Bergkamp, Gianfranco Zola, you know, all the players that we've had and, and loads of the players of today, uh, Harry Kane could do it. Mm. Um, but it was just such an extraordinary moment. And uh, people all over the world were seeing that. And luckily for Arsenal, one of them was Dennis Bergkamp, and it was inspired. Yeah. And of course, if you think of Dennis Bergkamp's great goals, there were a couple that involved taming the ball mm. and uh, and hitting it pretty quickly with the other foot. I thought it was interesting as well that in your piece, you, you said that obviously Bergkamp found his right position and flourished in that. That's, Sometimes Hoddle never quite found No, that, that yeah. happened. With yeah. Bergkamp, that happened yeah, yeah. through Wenger, you see. Right, because yes. it, yeah, if, yeah. It, it, uh, you know, it's an, I'd not thought of it that mm. way before, but you, you, you've uh, drawn attention to that, that it was through Wenger uh, who immediately put... Now, Bergkamp had, had had a difficult time with Inter, I think. Right, yes. Where yeah. probably... Um, I mean, I didn't watch Inter at the time, but my guess would be they'd play with one striker, mm. and 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 it might, and 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 maybe it was Dennis. Now that mm. wouldn't have suited yeah. him one little oh, bit. Yeah. So, but Wenger immediately inherited um, because Dennis was signed under Bruce Rioch mm. for Arsenal. But he he um, immediately saw what this player was. Mm. He's my Glenn Hoddle. He's my number ten. Yeah, and. Um, well, the the rest is is North London history, but <laughs> not Spurs. Yeah. What about his use for England? He only got fifty three caps. Mm. Obviously, he had injuries throughout his career. But, yeah, there were injuries. But, but there seemed to be some scepticism from first Ron Greenwood and then Bobby Robson as England manager. Did, was mm. he was he underused and underutilized? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, Ron Greenwood, who was the England manager when Glenn was given his debut against Bulgaria at Wembley. Ron was anything but a philistine you know was was he loved skill he was very much associated with west ham's reputation ron had been manager of west ham and he was very much involved in in west ham's reputation for playing pretty football mm-hmm. for 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 being progressive and and if you like continental in 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 his attitude so it was a surprise when after glenn's debut which i, I mean everyone of a certain age you know, my age would remember it. And he stroked this goal against Bulgaria from outside the penalty, just more or less on the edge of the penalty area. And he side-footed it. It was like a pass. <laughs> and it's and it's sort of up, bouncing down from the roof of the net before the goalkeeper can even gasp. And, uh, you know, it, it was terrific. And after the game, the, 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 the press went to Ron Greenwood and, and said, wow, we, we've really got something here. And Ron Greenwood mumbled something about he's one for the future. And he wasn't used in the next mm-hmm. game. So that was and that was Ron Greenwood, the, yeah. the kind of person you would hope would would lead England into a, a new era of technique and uh, and entertainment. So he won two FA Cups as a player, mm. one league title, uh, which was in France, yeah. and one UEFA Cup. Yes. Is there a sense that maybe his knee injuries which were recurring throughout his career, 
kind of stopped him reaching yeah, the top of the I think they game. did. I think they cut his career short because he could have played. He ended up, I mean, we might talk on this mm. later, but uh, he ended his career as, as his own sweeper, his own liberal. Yeah, yeah. And and that was in the the old fashioned sweeper sense where you, you've got no one to mark at all, and you're meant to to, to start the game, you know, to to mm. play as a midfield player, creative midfield player, um, and I think he could have played in that position till he was forty. I don't think he'd have got anywhere near a hundred caps because England managers mistrusted his defensive mm. uh, work, and it wasn't until. In 1986 in Mexico, you know, Hand of God mm -hmm. era. And um, out there, there was, you know, a players meeting and there was, and Bobby Robson was the manager. And he eventually, after Ray Wilkins, who, who was obviously a first choice, had got injured, uh, Robson brought in Peter Reed and gave more of the creative responsibility to, to Glenn Hoddle. And Hoddle really flourished. He had a particularly brilliant game in the uh, first knockout game against Paraguay. Mm. He was sensational in that game. And uh, unfortunately, after that, in the hand of God <laughs> game against Argentina. And, uh, you know, Diego did, did, did England in, but uh, by, fair me by foul means and then fair. Although... Glenn did mention when I did an interview with him mm. that in the build-up to Maradona's great goal in that game, as opposed to the cheating one, um, that Glenn Hoddle got uh, fouled in the build-up. <laughs> 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 if you look at a particular, you, you don't get it in the uh, just the highlight yeah, yeah. Um, things on YouTube. You, but if you look at the whole game right. and you stop it just before that, you see that it actually should have been a, at least a foul, possibly a yellow card. <laughs> Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So in the early 90s, yeah. uh, Glenn Hoddle went from Monaco to Swindon Town mm. to become their player manager. Yeah. It's not a well-trodden path, is it, Monaco to Swindon? But what kind, no. of <laughs> what kind of football did Swindon play under Hoddle? Well, it was the 3-5-2 that uh, he later brought to England. Um, it was a very technical style of football, mm. very playing from the back. Glenn was a two-footed, two-foot equal uh, strength mm. in both feet, mm. and uh, he, he did say that there were there were four two-footed players in that Swindon team. He said that we were technically very good. Mm. He said he also said uh, um, that the, the, the technically that Swindon team 
was better than Chelsea, right. the Chelsea that he later went to. <laughs> so it, it, technically, yeah. And um, so they were ideal for that the uh, playing out from the back under a three-five-two um, with a sweeper, a job which to which he appointed himself <laughs> very successfully. He'd really uh, decided to stop playing because of the knee injuries yeah. that you mm. mentioned earlier. Uh, that he that uh, you know really stopped his top class career at uh, or was thought to have stopped his top class career at Monaco, but he had a good pre season in his second year. He felt okay and and he went um, and he played very very well. And they eventually got up. I can't remember how long it took him to get them up, but two or three, two two and a half years, something like that. Um, and they came up playing brilliant football. And what's more, in the Premier League, they played with a small P, I think it was in those days, but mm. in the in the top division, they continued to play the same football. Mm -hmm. Open, too open, <laughs> yeah, well, because they did concede a lot of goals. Well, yeah, I guess it showed the, the impact Hoddle had when he was there, that when, once he left, mm. although they continued playing the same way, I mean, they obviously conceded, I think it was 100 goals they conceded that year, and that it, was, it was, uh, became very that, difficult for them, that, didn't it? That yeah. is true, because by then he'd gone to, yeah. to Chelsea. Yeah. But... Um, it was they were fondly remembered. I don't know if uh, you guys remember Blackpool under uh, Ian Holloway. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. They came up, right, they went yeah. down, but they had a lot of fun yeah, and they provided absolutely. a lot of really good football entertainment. Mm. Swindon were just like that under John Gorman, who mm. was uh, Glenn's assistant yeah. for many years. Um, they they just thought, you know, let's give it a go, and and yeah, they. They uh, they took a, f a few beatings, but um, you know that 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 happens at this level. Ask anybody who goes to Manchester City. <laughs> yes, yeah. Chris, yeah. Chris, I think you fondly remember the 1993 playoff final. I do, yeah. I mean, uh, I've got to admit, as a Bolton fan, I, f I fondly remember the 1995 playoff final slightly better. But, but there's um, there's yeah, it was, to, to me that there was a there was a run in the 90s of incredible um, first division playoff finals. Mm. Um, mm. Obviously, going on to Sunderland for Charlton for the end of the decade, but oh, yeah. that that Swindon one was the first one that I remember being just an incredible game. I think these charging to some, some sort of three 0 lead. Hoddle scored the first goal, I think. Then Leicester came back and made it three three. Yeah. And then, but Swindon then went on and, and won it four three, and it was just such an incredible game. And like you say, playing Swindon were playing great football. Yeah. And got to the Premier League through that. I've never been able to understand how, with probably the most tense match in the mm. English football calendar, the one where the teams have most to win and lose, you often get the most wonderful devil-may-care, yeah. uh, enterprising, not frightened yeah. football. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is if if there's an early goal in that game, a the team that's losing is so desperate yes. to, to get back into it that they'll just throw everything at it. Now, yeah. the argument against that, I suppose, you look at the last Champions League final last year with Spurs went a goal down yes. and, and didn't respond in that no. way. Maybe they couldn't no. respond that way. Maybe late so in the season, but of course, yeah. the playoff, True, yes, playoffs yeah, yeah. late in the yeah. season. Yeah. Well, no, it, it, like I say, there was this run in the 90s of just amazing playoff finals mm. that that was very much the one that started it all off, Swindon. Mm. And that was that would have been that, that would have been Hoddle's the, the end of his time. Yeah, I think that was probably his last last game. Uh, yeah, club, I think, yeah, before Chelsea called. Now, so when he went to Chelsea, I mean, is there an argument there that 
he was the person to kind of start this modernisation process yeah. at Chelsea. Mm. That, and that possibly if he'd not done that and, and made them play in this, this more kind of European style and, and bring this new idea, yep. that perhaps they wouldn't be the kind of club that Roman Abramovich later looked at. I, I think absolutely. I mean, I think you look at Chelsea in the early 90s, you look back at the list of managers now and, and to, to people of a younger age, those names perhaps wouldn't mean an awful lot to people mm. like Ian Porterfield and, and David Webb. They're obviously good managers at the time, maybe not remembered in by a younger generation mm. the same way. Yep. But then... Hoddle was the first one that changed that. He was a big name. He changed the way they played. He moved them up the table. and from Got them pro- to a cup final. Yeah, got them to a cup final. And from then, obviously, then came Hullet, then came Viali, then came Ranieri, then came Abramovich. I think I, I would agree with that, and uh, particularly the, you, the mention of Hullet. Um, Ruud Hullet would not have come to Chelsea. I mean, let's face it, three quarters of the ground was still a slum mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like the Chelsea of today, but it. I think it began to be like that when a player like Ruud Hullet yeah. went to Chelsea, yeah. um, ostensibly to succeed Glenn as sweeper, yeah. but it didn't quite work out that way. Um, but that was a that was a key moment. I think it established Chelsea as a European club. Absolutely. But that is a really interesting tactical decision, isn't it? Glenn Hoddle himself is a playmaker, moving back into sweeper, yeah. and then bringing in one of Europe's and the decade's most celebrated playmakers mm. and wanting to play do, him. Do as you know why he did well? that though? Because he remembered that Ruud Hullet, at the age of sixteen, was a sweeper at I think it was Harlem. I yeah, can't remember yes, which yeah, one yeah. was. Yeah. Uh, uh, was was a was a creative defender. Mm. And I, I I don't know whether um, Hullet was impressed by Hoddle knowing that, yeah. which Hoddle would, because of his uh, passionate interest in playing out from the back, he would have known that. Um, whether he was he thought, hey, this guy will do for me. He, he, mm. he's, he's done his homework. Plus, he would, like everybody else, have been a huge admirer of Glenn Hoddle, the, yeah. the footballer. So... Yeah, that was that was the start of it. So Glenn was was the catalyst, and and, and Ken Bates, uh, the chairman at the mm. time, in in employing him, uh, just pulled off a masterstroke. And and uh, again, I mean, get Bates deserved that because after Monaco, Glenn was allowed to train at Chelsea. Yeah, uh, and and before he went to Swindon. Mm. So, you know, uh, one good deed deserves another. I know that Hullet speaks glowingly about Hoddle and that decision to try and play him at Sweeper yeah. uh, in his book, um, yeah. oh, did w- he? Which, which is really interesting. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, Hoddle was then the last English manager of Chelsea until Frank Lampard now, but then he went to become England manager himself and he didn't stick to the rigid 4-4-2 that perhaps previous managers would no. have done. Looking back on the 1998 World Cup now, how do we actually rate that performance? Because in the end, England went out in mm-hmm. the second round. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. At the time, I remember feeling really optimistic about it, even mm-hmm. though the very tournament before yeah, that, obviously, England too, got yeah. to a semi-finals and the yeah. semi-finals. But I remember thinking, I don't know, there's something about Hoddle I really liked. I, think I liked the way they played at the time. Uh, I liked the fact that he was bringing in really exciting players like Beckham and, and obviously Michael Owen in that tournament. And for, for me, that Michael Owen goal, which obviously... Hoddle's in charge of that team is still the greatest moment I remember supporting England. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, well, at the same time, you look back and you think, well, actually, of, of those four games they played that World Cup, okay, they, first of all, they beat Tunisia, then they lost to Romania, mm-hmm. uh, then they beat Colombia, that was a great performance. And then uh, the, the Argentina one, 
I mean, I still think had Beckham not been sent off, we we would have won that game. Yeah, um, and it's arguable. Yeah. Had Alan Shearer not not uh, yes, uh, fouled yeah. the goalkeeper, yeah. Ah, oh, that was never yeah. a foul. <laughs> but, Spoken like a true English, <laughs> and I'm speaking like a true Scots. <laughs> but then I suppose you look back and think, well, actually, you know, his only tournament was the last sixteen, and it's it's okay. And I suppose it's sort of you you sort of, you look back and think you wonder you're not quite sure what what he could have achieved, and mm-hmm. you can't really judge it either way because no. of because of what happened with you know, yeah, with I guess with David Beckham, and, I, you know, and I think we talk about. Hoddle as a manager has been this kind of metropolitan, um, tactical-minded yes. type of manager. But actually, I think around that time he showed quite how hard-headed he could be as well. Yes. Obviously, the decision not to take Paul Gascoigne was massive, mm. but also the year before his kind of bust-up with Chris Sutton, where yeah. Sutton refused as one of the stars to, to play for the under to, to play for the B team, team yeah. and 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 Hoddle refused to play him for England ever again. So, yep. what what do we kind of learn from Hoddle from those instances? Well, I think he was a decision maker mm. I don't think Chris, I think if Chris Sutton has been an exceptional player um, instead of just a very very good one if Chris Sutton had been Harry Kane I think Glenn would have tried a little bit harder yeah um, I, th- I think Hoddle actually accepts now uh, or you know he explains now and Chris Sutton accepts that this was a period in which there was Alan Shearer Les mm. Ferdinand Andy Cole Teddy Sheringham yeah yeah that, and then, obviously, Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler. Yeah. But certainly, there was a feeling at the time that, uh, yeah, he, he knew his own mind almost too well. I thought it was interesting in, in, in the piece you wrote. There was, uh, there's been a story that's gone around for, I don't know, 20, 20 years now about when he, in training with David Beckham and how he tried yeah. to show him techniques. And then, obviously, in, in, the, in the interview you do, he, yeah. he says, well, that's, that's not how it was. Yeah, he, he denied it. That um, he, he said, you know... It, as, as he said, you know, I wouldn't have done that. He said, in fact, I had a technique for avoiding that, which was that whenever he took on a managerial job or whenever he thought about how he was doing at a particular club, he would remind himself that although he had could do more with a football mm. than probably any of the players there, maybe not, I don't know, Beckham was a magnificent technician as well, but Hoddle was two-footed. <laughs> <laughs> so he's twice as good. But um, no, he, 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 but uh, certainly that, that Beckham story did a lot of damage at a time when Glenn Hoddle needed friends. One of the things that perhaps uh, came before his downfall was the release of the diaries that he wrote during the World Cup. Mm. Um, that seemed an odd decision and, and seemed to upset some players yeah. in the England squad. Yeah, it was. I mean... I, I, I was I'm just wondering how many minutes we've been talking before the the words Eileen Drury come on. <laughs> yeah. Are we coming into that next? Yeah. <laughs> Eileen Drury was uh, a faith healer whose beliefs um, Glenn shared. Yeah. Not only shared, but was passionate, mm. passionately in tune with. She was a pub landlady, is um, still around. Um, I can't remember where, but. Um, but she and Glenn knew each other, and, and as I say, were, were singing from the same hymn sheet, although it was spiritualism rather than religion that brought them together. And uh, I think probably most people who look at this diary, which he wrote in conjunction with David Davis, you know, the, mm. the David Davis who was constant, not the one who was the Brexit negotiator, <laughs> but the one who was 
worked for the mm. FA in yeah. many roles, um, including chief executive for many, many years. Mm. Uh, and he was the sort of ghostwriter, I suppose, of the, of the thing. And, and the, the quote that most people pull out to, 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 to deride it was, my biggest mistake at the World Cup um, was not to take Eileen Drury. Mm, right. Because he be, he'd become aware, uh, you know, everybody had the, um, you, you know, the, the, the joke, it, was, it wasn't a joke, but it was a joke from Ray Parler, who was in mm, the Scotland mm, squad. Yeah. And um, Eileen was supposed to be laying hands on, on his head to try and... Um, rectify something i don't know I'm, I'm just it, was a, it was a calf injury i believe a calf injury <laughs> yeah. yes um but it's all in it's all in uh, it's all in the mind isn't it parlor sat in this uh, large seat and asked for a short back inside <laughs> <laughs> so, um you know there, there was that sort of uh, it definitely split opinion and 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 people mistrusted the whole thing mm. i suppose while england were winning if if they'd um won the argentina game and gone on to win the world cup um faith healing would have um, been taught at every coaching course in, <laughs> in in the fa's handbook but uh, uh you know if 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 you lose a penalty decider and suddenly yeah. faith healing is just the kind of joke that most people mm. rather nervously think it is a lot of people do. Yeah. So Hoddle had become a born again Christian in the in the yes, mid 1980s, right. and and had this very strong religious conviction. Obviously, it involved uh, a faith healer in terms of coaching the England players. Yes. And then, and eventually, was sacked as England manager because of comments he made about um, uh, uh, disabled people. Yeah. In and the context of reincarnation. Yeah, so he said this in an interview, and he, he said, uh, I think we make mistakes when we are down here, and our spirit has to come back and learn. That is why there is an injustice in the world, why there's certain people born into the world with terrible physical problems. Yeah. Now, that caused an enormous political ruckus, and after a few days, he was sacked. Yeah. Um, do you think, possibly, that the fact that he involved his faith healer into the squad and got players to go and see her, and in fact... I believe Ray Parler claims that he was dropped from the England squad after making those comments about yeah. Eileen Drury. Yeah. All of this possibly legitimised those questions around his personal beliefs because he was bringing them into work. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely wound people up. Um, there's no question about that. It, it wasn't a, something that I share, but I don't really think that should have mattered to the British people. Um, you were dead right to talk about it became a massive political i mm. mean the, the prime minister of the time yeah. tony blair was taken by surprise on richard and judy's sofa i think <laughs> yeah, and uh, he sort of blurted out well he should consider his position or, mm. or, or something like that which was exactly what the the yeah. you know the mm. posse wanted yeah. to hear and there were one or two people who, who said, come on, this is going too far. One of them being uh, Lord Ashley, a man called Jack Ashley, who spent most of his uh, life deaf and was a campaigner for the mm. disabled. And he said, look, he should be judged as a football manager, uh, not for, for his religious or spiritual beliefs. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe now. Um, and... That's what I believed at the time. And I can, I'll can i never forget, I wrote pieces, but I was in a minority. I still believe that it was a bad episode in our uh, media mm. history. I think part of the problem is, though, that he then did try and explain 
what he meant. He claimed it kind of like had been lost in some sort of context or that there was a misquote. But when he explained it, he didn't really expand it to mean anything else. And I think that possibly caused some of his problems. I know. I see what you're... I, you're not giving up on this one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we, can, we, we can move on. I, I, no, 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 no. I, I no, think we no, 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 no. I do respect that view. Mm. I do. I do respect that view. And, um, and, I, and I agree with you that his... The explanation mm. that he, ga- he gave dug him deeper in, into yeah, that yeah. argument. What he denies... And what Matt Dickinson, the Times journalist who wrote it, just as fervently insists upon is, is that that was a fair um, depiction of his of the conversation. Without being there, it yeah. is it sounds ridiculous yeah. that 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 a conversation that an interview, a one-on-one arranged interview mm. by the FA, was done over the telephone mm. without any. Um, tape recorders there. Would never happen now, would it? It wouldn't happen now. <laughs> yeah. no. I, I guess mean, maybe that's why. Well, it could well be yeah, th- yeah. things like that. Yeah. I mean, now you've got you know tape recorders coming at you from all angles yeah. to protect the interviewee from the interviewer. Yeah. So the, the uh, that wasn't the end of his managerial career. He went on to have uh, stints at Southampton, mm. Spurs, and Wolves. They were all a little bit underwhelming. Um, what do you think happened to his early managerial promise? I think. Once you've managed England, and particularly once you've left England in a way mm. that is not necessarily positive, as most as most mm. managers leave leaving yep. the England job, it's very difficult. Then, and we see it with almost all people who managed England. Graham, very, Taylor, Graham yeah, Taylor, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it took him ages to become a, a, a yeah. you know really really highly respected manager. Mm. Again, thank God he did it before mm. he died. But um, you can even go back to Alf Ramsey, who tried to return to club management. He'd been a great club manager with Ipswich. Mm. Uh, and, and even he, who had won the World Cup um, after being sacked by England, you know, he found it a struggle at places like Birmingham. Well, it's, it's interesting as well, like Steve McLaren, even after he, obviously, you know, a, yeah. a very bad spell with England, went abroad, actually won the Eredivisie with, with FC20, yeah. but still could find almost, you know, no success in England because... The whole perception around him in in England is so it's it's, it's almost ridiculous. I suppose yeah. that makes Bobby Robson one of a kind. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, Terry very, Venables, yeah. of course, but uh, yeah. It, 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 by and large, the battering that the England job gives you um, uh, really it takes takes a long, long time. Yeah. To, it takes you a long time to get over it. And Glenn would probably be the prime example of that. Mm. He went to Wolves. He he went. To Tottenham, which should have been a, a you know, a, a, a glorious sentimental return, and, and at times it was, mm. but um, but the best he achieved there, I think, he got them to a, a League Cup final yes. and tenth place in the league. It, you know, it wasn't. It well, wasn't I, I suppose the thing, obviously, with with Glenn is that obviously he took the England job so young, and, yes, and yeah. it meant that you know, the chances were that he, you know, however that England job went, he probably wasn't going to have a much. Uh, well, he was going to get sacked. He wasn't going to yeah, have well, it for yeah, forty yeah. years, was he? Yeah. No. So it's you know, by by the nature of taking the England job that that young, you you risk yes. the rest of your career. Fair point. Yeah. yeah. So finally, he, obviously, he suffered a serious heart attack uh, last year, sixty first birthday. Yeah, yeah. and uh, was kind of kept alive by uh, one of the producers, I think, in the BT Sport studio. Which sound, rec- sound the man in charge of the sound yeah. recording. Yeah, yeah which fun, a fantastic story. Um, but I think. Possibly, it does prompt us to look back on on him and his his life, both as a, a player and a manager, and mm. kind of assess now his legacy. 
And you talked earlier that as a player, he didn't have that influence no. on the English game. Actually, actually, do you think now, as a manager, he has had some sort of influence? Into, yes. Into how the yeah, game that's a very good point. It, it, it's extraordinary. I'd never thought of, of it that way. But although he was a good manager and a great player, hmm. uh, that is leg- he's more of a legacy as, as a manager, in particular with playing out from the back, which he did because he wouldn't didn't know any other way yeah. and if he'd kept the england job i mean who knows what how rio ferdinand would have developed mm. as a footballing defender mm. um perhaps in a three uh, as opposed to just playing in a back four at manchester united where to be fair yeah. he didn't do it too badly <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> oh, what could have been for rio <laughs> yeah, yeah. where did it all grow <laughs> wrong <Eight> champions leagues <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, and you know, along with Nemanja Vidic, one of the great Man United <laughs> partnerships. But yeah, apart from <laughs> and the Champions Leagues, what did he ever do? But yeah, now that's that's fair enough. But he he could still have been. Um, I think he would have made Rio into, if, if not necessarily a better player, but a more constructive player, and England into an even mm. more mm. flexible, um, unpredictable. An attractive team uh, had he, you know, had history taken a different course. Chris, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I mean, like I say, I mean, I, I, I mean, we look we look back at the figures in this this issue of the magazine. He's, you know, he's he's also got the I think the fourth highest win percentage of any England manager in history, yeah. which yeah, says, which, which says probably surprised a few. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the people above them is Sam Allardyce. Well, he's number one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one game, one win. Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> Sam was always Glenn's hero. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I think he he has an influence, and you know, even even the way that Gareth Southgate has looked to set up with England, I'm not saying it's exactly the same as what Glenn Hoddle did, but there's certainly some similarities in terms of how mm. how they play, even the system they've they've tried that three at the back at times. That's right, because like Gareth played in three at the back at Aston Villa mm. with Paul McGrath and mm. and, for, and for England under Hoddle. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yes, yes, of course. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, it, 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 I think maybe the you know if you, to continue the legacy question that mm. that we can even see it now yeah, in this absolutely. But um, no, it should have been it should it should have been different. And if he'd been born in a different if Hoddle been born in a different country, say Brazil, um, and been born at a different time, I think his his legacy would have been even greater. Patrick, Chris, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Patrick and Chris for joining me today. You can buy 442 with Patrick's feature on Glen Hoddle in shops or online now. And if you subscribe to the magazine today, you'll get your first five issues for £5. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. It only takes a second and it helps us stand out in the busy football podcast market. We'll be back next Friday with a new episode. The music you've heard is by Howell Griff, who are also available on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening.